Our last speaker um, of the day needs very little introduction. He's promised, but I'm not going to hold him to this, to, because we didn't get Lawrence Krauss. He said, I can in 10 seconds tell you Lawrence's theory and debunk it. <laughs> true uh, to form, um, Professor Ray Tallis. How are you? So far, so good. How are you? All right. <laughs> Thank you for asking, Doctor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. By the way, if you want to know, this is to try and compete with Alan's scarf. And this is because I've had a lot of compliments about this hat, so I didn't trust that somebody wouldn't steal it while I was up on the stage. So I'm keeping on. Is that all right? There's yeah, hundreds yeah. of them. I imagine a sort of Batman cave with hats and scarves. Yeah. And <laughs> just pick one. Yeah. We've been talking about corpses. Yeah. Um, and your book, The Black Mirror, starts with your corpse. Yeah. And you refer to your corpse throughout this book, which I've said this to you over the phone and in person, and I'm, I'll say this now, is the most extraordinary book. Um, so you. throughout this book, RT, the corpse, is present. Yeah. And I think, what you, as I understand it, you've said that in order to actually look at death, death is a nothing, and therefore... Um, what we're actually looking at from that vantage point, which can only be that of a corpse, your corpse, is your life. Yeah. So everything that is not death. Yeah. Is that...? Absolutely right. I mean, that's the... Anyway, there was a very good phrase I think Jane used earlier on, talking about um, an anticipatory elegy. And in many ways, thinking about one's corpse, which actually is this physical object is my corpse. The corpse just happened to be a later time slice of this object. But looking at one's life from the standpoint of one's corpse, is an anticipatory elegy for the life that one's lost. And that, one of the images I had writing the book was of myself pressing my nose against the window in which I could see the life that I'd lost, you know, in the darkness. book about death, and then realised that you could only do that from that vantage point. About halfway through it, I realised that death was the vantage point that would bring together what was going to be a celebration of life. Yes. And in fact, for the first time in writing a book ever, A, I've had a huge difficulty with it, but B, I actually kept a journal because I couldn't see where it was going. So I can actually see the evolution of the book. And it was perfectly obvious at some stage, suddenly I could see from the standpoint of the corpse, I could start looking at my life in a sort of ordered way. I mean, that wasn't the end of the problems because life is an extraordinary, complex, heterogeneous, etc., etc., uh, item. And one of the great dangers of the book was that it would just dribble away into lists. And you said yeah. there was an extraordinary difficulty in writing it. In what way? How to order the material. You know, Raymond Tallis is an extraordinary <coughs> object, I mean, and his life... I can't tell you how rich his life is, but it's, actually it's, it's as rich as your life. I mean, RT, he calls himself throughout, is really HS, Homo sapiens. I mean, the reason I chose myself is just the happy accident that I am myself. But it's really about all of you. It, it, it is about every, every man. But there was a sort of hope that by writing it, I would be immortal, so that RT would be, as it were, retweeted forever. Um, but it's, 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 uh, who knows whether that would work out. But basically, I've taken myself as simply an exemplar. 
Um, and that's why I've focused very much on utterly, inverted commas, ordinary things. But you say at the start, I think one of the um, phrases at the beginning is, change the name and it's your story or something. Yes, it's a quote from <coughs> Horace, change only the name and the tale is about you. So if you read The Black Mirror, better still buy it, don't bother reading it, but just buy it. <laughs> I mean, but if, 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 if you read The Black Mirror, although it's about RT, of course, I hope you'll recognise it's about you. Yeah. And it, so, interestingly, I picked up a book thinking I was going to read about death, but in fact it's a, it's a hymn, it's a, it's a sort of, uh, it is a hymn, and I know you're not a religious person, but it came across as a hymn to life, a, a hymn of praise. Yes, it's a love letter. Yeah. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. So I sort of counted the ways, basically. And everybody will know the line from Shakespeare, you know, to love that well thou will not see ere long. And in many ways, one was assuming the position of somebody who is mortal, as we all are. I'm a bit more mortal than many of you in the audience, or at least close to the end. And to see, take the standpoint of a life that's over, is a way of reminding oneself of how much one loves the utterly ordinary things. Yeah. yeah. The completely quotidian in which there are miracles or astonishment. If you look, I mean, <clears throat> my, my view of philosophy is basically to look at small things in great detail. And if you look in the great detail, they turn out to be glass-bottom boats. You know, you can see right to the bottom of a huge ocean. So what lies inside ordinary actions, like pointing about which I've written a book and so on, actually, when unpacked, unpacks to something enormous. So it, it, it's, it's an expression, really, Sam, of my secular humanism. Yeah. You, start, in fact, you start, in fact, in the... Um, you start with the elements. I start with the elements. I, well, I start with dying, yeah. get that out of the way, uh, and I park myself up, put myself on the slab, and then I look back from myself on, on the slab. And then I start looking around. I look at the elements, I look at earth, air, fire, and water. Because, and they're what made, because, they, because you're made of them. Is that why? In part, <coughs> I'm made of them, and perhaps I could even talk a little bit about water. I mean, a, yeah. a cue for a read, perhaps. It is. That's just what I thought. This has sort of been planned a bit beforehand, but you never know what Sam's going to spring on you. Can I, go, can I go to the lectern and then come back again? Is sure, that all right? I thought you were going to say, can I go to the loo? The water did it. And, uh, no, actually, I, yes, I, I always bank some space in the bladder before I'm talking, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now you'd be glad to know, one of the things that per, uh, Philip Larkin says, and what makes readings tolerable is if you know how long they're going to last for. So basically, these are not going to... Sam's asked me to do t two or three readings, but I think I'll probably do a couple at the most, or whatever, anyway. So I talk about earth, air, fire and water. This is a preliminary to then focusing on RT's sensors, and then the spaces that his sensors unpack, and then we carry on, and so on and so forth. So water. Water. He had been an oddly shaped, largely fluid-filled sachet, living on a planet, 72% of which was covered with water. From the amniotic fluid of the months when he was being prepared for life on Earth, to the final hours when he drowned in his own secretions and nature reclaimed him, it was water, water everywhere. Now, while water has no memory, it left many memories during a life in which it coursed through every corner of it. Rain had fascinated him when it didn't depress his spirits. He'd been entranced by the effortless artistry of pools, creating likenesses of the world around them and changing their style of portraiture according to the weather, or marking the passage of a paper boat with a corduroy of interlocking Vs attached to its stern. Water was as polyphonic as the air, splashes, gurglings, the monosyllabic plink of fat drops 
dispensed singly from the end of pipes and branches. The fine-grained spattering of the fountain, the poster-brush-wide organ roar of the waterfall, and the colloquies of the rain with the puddles it created, of the falling with the fallen. Water had come in a variety of portions, from the horizon encircled to the porcelain constrained, served up in lakes and leaks, in seas viewed from ships made tiny by them, reservoirs that took a day to circumnavigate, streams he could leap across, pools on the pavement, glassfuls angling the light, thimblefuls, runnels of tears coursing a face, drops that took a full minute to become corpulent enough to earn their escape from the end of a twig. He encountered this transparent, chilly, elusive stuff in measures that ranged from the open deep, ocean deep to the two-dimensional slimness of a stain. The water that had flowed through his days was for the most part tamed. The circuit diagram of pipes dragooning a silky formlessness to a pattern connecting thirsts with their quenchings was a triumph of the collective human mind. The intimacy and frequency of his many dealings with water was a consequence of the fact that maintaining inner fluid balance was one of the chief conditions of his continuing existence. The components of the various inner carnal seas that ultimately bathed the cells of his body had to be maintained with exquisite precision so that the million-cogged chemical clockwork could continue to make it possible for him to be a sentient habitué of daylight rather than carry an awaiting disintegration. His encounters with water, this magic stuff into which he could plunge plunge headfirst without injury, went beyond the utilitarian, beyond the swabbing, rinsing, moistening and drying that occupied so much of his life. Its wonder had struck him anew when bathing his infant children, they had whopped the surface of the bathwater to create tantalizingly brief chandeliers of drops. Seen from the complacency of waterproofs or through a window seething with wriggling, translucent tadpoles, even unwelcome rain might seem beautiful. And he had relished, finally, how cold conferred rigidity on this, the very paradigm of fluidity, making a portable window out of a puddle, fastening a monocle onto a tarn, arresting raindrops to zero-calorie sweets, transforming showers to feathers fallen from a giant bird, asterisks of snow dictating hush and organising window mist into fern prints. Mm-hmm. <laughs>